forward, and we're going to talk about the story of Joshua leading the people crossing the Jordan. So this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and um, we're going to read uh, uh, quite a bit of Scripture this morning, so bear with me. We're going to start in, uh, the, uh, in Joshua chapter 3, and uh, we're going to start with verse 1 and just read. Oh, we're cutting it off a little bit. That's okay. All right. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark, and do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And we're going to read the first portion of chapter 4 as well. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you. And put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Okay, thanks for hanging in there. It's a powerful passage, though, isn't it? Amazing story of uh, what God uh, did for the people and just who he is, right? Like what he's capable of. Um, And just, you know, remember, this is very fresh into Joshua taking the reins of uh, of the Israelites, right? He he was now like the leader of the Israelites, uh, handed over from Moses, right? Moses appointed him. And um, 
and we see even in Joshua chapter 1 that God like gives these incredible promises to, uh, to Joshua. And we're going to read those in a, in a little bit. But, um, but just telling Joshua, this is who you are now. But Joshua also, like, can you imagine those shoes that he had to fill? Moses' shoes. The guy who just led all these people out of Egypt right? The Red Sea miracle, right? He, uh, they, they followed a pillar of fire in the sky, a pillar of cloud during the day, right? Like uh, manna from heaven, right? Uh, he hit a rock and water came out, right? Like all these insane miracles, conquering enemies, right? Being victorious in battles. Like Moses was the guy, the Ten Commandments, he came down from the mountain, right? His face shone with the glory of God because he was in the presence of the living God. Moses, right? And Joshua had to be the next guy, right? Can you imagine the pressure that Joshua probably felt just knowing, like, how am I supposed to fill those shoes? How am I supposed to be the one that leads these people after Moses, Have you ever felt the pressure of expectation on you? Expectation from maybe your job, our culture, society, family members, yourself. Expectation even that you feel that that God is placing on you. Have you felt that pressure of, of, of rising to the occasion? This is where Joshua is at. Joshua felt the pressure of expectation, of somehow being greater than Moses. Because, remember, it was promised. Moses told the people, one greater than I will come. It was promised to them. He was talking about Jesus eventually, but the people didn't know that. They just knew somebody greater is going to come. And so here's Joshua. Here's Joshua. Right, Joshua felt the pressure of expectation, right? But our expectations have got to be formed by our faith or we are going to risk missing out on what God has for us. And so the main point that I want to talk about today is that we form our expectations in life by faith. Okay, we're called to form our expectations in this life by faith. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, first... We match our expectations with God's. We match our expectations for things with God's expectations for things. And I'm going to read just really quickly. Here's the expectations, right, that God spoke to Joshua. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's a promise. That is a promise right there, right? And that is the expectation that God has placed on Joshua. This is what you should expect out of this life now, Joshua, because I have spoken it. But Joshua had a choice. Joshua had a choice just like we all do. He could either let this promise shape his outlook and shape his expectations about everything that he was going to face, or not. That's as simple as it is, right? He could either let this incredible promise that God was going to give him every piece of territory wherever he set his foot, right? That crazy of a promise, right? That every enemy would fall before them, that he was, that God himself was going to be with Joshua no matter what he did, right? That is an incredible promise. So, so again, right? Like Joshua could have accepted all that and said, yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I'm going to move forward in this promise, God, because you are who you say you are. And so if this is who you're saying I am, then it must be true. So he could have done that, right? But he also had the choice to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you have the right guy. I feel like you maybe missed something, God. I don't know if you're. I don't know if I'm your guy. He had that op- option, and of course, we know that Joshua led the people through the Jordan. But don't believe for a second that seeing the Jordan dry up didn't blow Joshua's mind, right? Don't believe for a second that that was like in the Bible. Sometimes we like it, it just the narrative can take the emotion out of the moment. Right. But can you fathom what that must have been like? Right. But Joshua had to trust that God would do for him anything he would have done for Moses. And he did incredible things for Moses. Joshua's faith dictated his expectations. Joshua's faith that God is who he says he is dictated his expectations. Do you hear what I'm saying? You with me, church? Joshua knew who God was, and he knew um, who he was to God. And that's a pretty powerful thing too, right? That's an important piece of this, right? Our expectations have to match God's, right? That's what he wants for us. And so we have to trust that God is who he says he is, but we have to also trust that we are who he says we are. When we know those two things in particular, only then can we be fully aligned with God's plan and his purposes for us. You hear me, church? Only then. It's one thing to just know that God is who he says he is. Okay? That's just head knowledge. But where it starts to change us is when we acknowledge who he says we are. That's when things start to change in our lives. And we allow him to shape our expectations ourselves we trade our expectations over our lives for his and that is a monumental surrender moment that's a monumental shift you know um the a shift for me that came um you know I, i've talked about this before but 
this idea that we are ambassadors of Christ, you know, and um, being an ambassador, you know, of, of the kingdom of God, we who call ourselves Christians, little Christs, right? Those who call ourselves followers of Jesus, followers of the way, right? Those of us who claim to uh, say that we have surrendered all things to Jesus and he is the one who guides our life, he is our Lord, right? That means that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. So wherever we step foot, that is now the kingdom of God. That same promise that Joshua gave, that God gave to Joshua, that wherever he stepped foot, right, was now God's, right, was now his land, right? Do you guys understand that we are now the temple of the living God? Do you understand that? God's presence dwelled in the temple, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, right? But when Jesus died, that veil was torn, and God's presence now dwells in us. So every single one of us is now the temple of the living God. So everywhere we go, that is holy ground. The same promise that was given to Joshua was given to us. We have the whole fullness of the Holy Spirit, guys. We have the fullness of his presence in us as followers of Jesus. So then wherever we go, that is where God is. But we have to live like that. We have to live like that. We have to live with that knowledge, with that understanding that I am an ambassador of the kingdom. And anybody who comes against me has to face him. That's who we are. We have power, church. Do you understand that? We have power. We have real power to change things in this world. Because the living God is in us. The same God that stopped the Jordan is in us and wants to work in and through us. But our expectations of that fall so short, don't they? Church, they fall short, don't they? Have your expectations of what God wants to do in and through you fallen short? Yeah, it's okay to admit that. We have to admit that. We have to admit that we have lessened the power of God in our lives. But it's on us. It's not him. He's not the one holding back. It's us saying, I don't think this is real. I don't think you really want to use me. I don't think I'm capable of seeing this sort of thing. I don't think that, you know, that you want this for me even, right? Guys, we are a conduit of the Holy Spirit. We are a conduit of his power. Do you know what a conduit is, right? It's just, that, it's just an empty pipe, guys. It's just a pipe that, like, directs where something needs to go. And so we are a vessel. And we are meant to just be a conduit of God's power in us and into the world. Oftentimes when I pray, I imagine myself holding hands with God. And I place my hand on somebody else when I'm praying for them. And I just imagine him just like... Just use me, God. It ain't me. It's not Cody doing something right now. This is the Holy Spirit right now that wants to do something. I just got to get out of the way. I got to unclog the conduit. Right? I got to clear it out. Make sure there's space for the Holy Spirit to move. I got to uncap the end of that 
the end of that pipe, right? That is who we, what, that's what we are called to do, right? We are conduits of the Holy Spirit. So what he is capable of, we are capable of experiencing through us. Guys, that's crazy. But it's truth. We are the temple of the presence of God. Church, where are your expectations today? Where are your expectations today? Again, you might believe that God is capable of doing anything, but do you believe that God is capable of doing anything through you? I'm going to ask that again. You might believe that God is capable of doing anything, but do you believe that God is capable of doing anything through you? Absolutely. Then we've got to live like it, guys. We've got to live like it. If it's true that we're conduits of the miraculous power of the living God, then we need to expect... We need to expect the miraculous in our lives. We need to expect to see the power of God move. And that's the next point I want to talk about, is that we have to expect God to move. Part of our expectations, right, is that we should see him move, because God wants to move. He wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in the lives of those around us, right? And I love this in uh, the beginning of of Joshua 3 where it says when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it you are to move out from your positions and follow it when you see God's presence was in the ark of the covenant right like that's where he dwelled right that's why like nobody could go near the ark of the covenant they couldn't touch it or they'd die because of his holy complete presence in that in that uh, contained in the ark of the covenant right so when they saw the ark move that was God being on the move he was leading them it was God leading them. It wasn't really Joshua, right? Joshua was just following what God was telling him to do. Joshua was following God's lead. So, right? So we see, uh, if you are, you are to move out from your positions and follow it, then you will know which way to go. Then you will know which way to go because we look where God is moving and then we say, okay, that's where we're supposed to go. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. <laughs> and it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves to, for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. So right there we see, right? We, there was this expectation. God is going to move. So look. Because we're going to go somewhere that none of us have ever been. So we have to wait and watch. Okay. There goes God. Now, what, what shifts? We better expect something big to happen. Because if God's moving, something big's going to happen. Amen? Amen? And so they had the expectation. They didn't know. God never expressly told Joshua that the water's going to stop. He never expressly tells Joshua that. Joshua tells the people that, but that's Joshua's expectation. God didn't say that. He just said, Go to the edge of the river. That's all he says. And so here Joshua says, right? Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. 
So he had that expectation. He knew big things are going to happen because God is on the move. And guys, like, you know, uh, the, the Jordan River, right, it says it was at flood stage, and this means that it was a raging, crazy, terrifying river. I mean, like, like the craziest monsoon, you know, like where we see, like, water just ripping through places, carrying trees like that, but, like, way crazier, way crazier. And this is what they were supposed to step foot into. This is what the, the you know, the, the Levitical priests, right, they had the ark on their shoulders, a 250-pound golden thing that contained, that contained the presence of God, and they were supposed to step into that river. Talk about faith. Talk about faith, right? But that river, that raging river, was simply a test to see where Joshua's faith was at. Do you really believe that I am who I say I am or not? Do you believe that I'm going to do the same things for you that I did for Moses or not? Remember, none of these people alive to see the Jordan were alive when the Red Sea was parted. Not a single soul saw the Red Sea parted. So this is a brand new experience. This is a brand new miracle. They had heard about the Red Sea. They'd heard about some of the other miracles in the desert, but they didn't see most of those. These are the children. This is the second generation, right, after the exodus from Egypt. So none of, those, none of these people knew captivity in Egypt. Maybe only when they were very young did they know that. But none of these people saw the Red Sea parted, right? So the raging river was this test to see, do you, do you believe me? Do you trust that I am who I say that I am? But Joshua, again, he expected God to do something. Right? He expected that great things were about to happen. So, so imagine with me, right? So the Jordan River is at flood stage. So when it stopped, um, this is a huge mass of water. And they think that it would have been probably about a 120-feet high wall. And, um, and it would have been about two miles. A, a lake instantly formed two miles wide and 120 feet deep. And Jericho was just right across the river. It's not super far away. And Jericho was up higher in elevation. So the city of Jericho would have seen that lake form. So, like, do you know how crazy that would have been for them, right? Like, uh, guys, like, something just happened at the Jordan. Like, don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden, where there was a river, there's a gigantic lake. Right? They saw something's coming. Something just happened. Right? So they knew something's, something's moving towards them. They know the Israelites were coming. Right? And not only that, not only did the water stop, not only did it back up for 20 miles, right? not only did it do those things, it, uh, it was completely dry ground, which is a miracle in and of itself. For it to be completely dry ground for them to walk across, Right? But God was teaching them in this moment, like, guys, I am the same God. I am the same God that parted the Red Sea. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the same God. And this is the same God that we serve today, church. God is unchanging. The same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that piled up the Jordan River, that is the same God that we serve today. 
I think as a church, we have lessened the power of God overall. We've lessened our expectations on what he is capable of, right? But this is the same God we serve. Um, you know, I, I, I used to pray for uh, the gift of healing for a long time. I, I really wanted that because I saw people die in my life when I was young, and, and I remember praying, like, desperately for them, and, um, you know, healing didn't come. And uh, after a while, I, I just kind of gave up. And, I, you know, I, looking back now, I know, like, I, I was trying to heal on my own power and my own merit, like, thinking, like, if I am good enough, if I've read the Bible enough this last week, if I, you know, it's been a while since I sinned, that habitual sin, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm clear enough that God will actually want to use me, you know, like, and it was all me. I was making it about me. Right? I was making it about who I was and what I was capable of. Right, And so every time I would pray for healing and nothing would happen, I just would assume it's my fault, which only fueled self-loathing and self-hatred. It just fueled this, like, well, I'm just worthless, and I guess God doesn't want to use me. So I'll just put my head down, and I guess I'll try to serve him as best I can, but clearly he doesn't want to do anything through me. And that, see, my expectations were off. Right? My expectations were on myself, not on God. My expectations were on, okay, I must have done something wrong. And so next time, my expectations were, okay, like, I guess if I do this and this and this, and, I, and I, it's been this long since I've done this and this and this maybe, and I've prayed and I've fasted maybe, oh, well, maybe that's the formula, or maybe I need to use oil this time, or maybe I need to, right? Like, the expectations were on that I was missing something. And I was. I was missing that it wasn't about me, right? I was making it all about me, and that's what, again, it fueled self-loathing, self-hatred, deep, deep, deep-seated self-hatred. But it wasn't about me. It was about God in and through me. And once I understood that, that's when I started to see some things happen and, and, and see power, you know, through prayer. Um, the first... Uh, the first real time that I saw um, someone healed, um, so I was uh, working at uh, a kitchen and bath remodeling place, and um, this guy I worked with, um, it, this was his brother, actually, and he, he told me, yeah, my brother, um, he um, just found out he has stage four lymphoma uh, and, uh, and skin cancer and stuff, and so, like, and he said, like, he hadn't gone to the doctor or anything, but he had softball-sized uh, lumps under his armpits. Like, and he still hadn't gone to the doctor. You know, he just let it go. And, um, and this, was, this was my boss's brother at the time, actually. And he said, um, and so, like, he asked if I would talk to him. And I said, sure, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to, to talk and pray with him. And so I started a relationship with him. And then, like, I got a meeting with him, and, and I prayed for him. And... At that meeting, like, you know, he was, he had, like, the fact that he knew that he hadn't dealt with it early enough, he had kind of, like, resolved. You know, like, it is what it is at this point, you know. But, um, you know, I, I remember I went and prayed with him for him, and I, and I prayed for healing like I'd always done, but I, something had shifted in me where I just wanted him to know God's love for him. And that just kind of happened. Like, it wasn't like a cognizant thing. I wasn't like, 
you know, I didn't read a book that told me I should do it that way. It was just like, you know, I just wanted God to show him who he was so that he could have a relationship with him and, and go to heaven because, man, I don't know what's going to happen with this guy, you know. Well, he was completely healed. Like, went to the doctor, no more stage four cancer, you know. Like, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that, you know. That was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, you know. Um, you know, and my attitude changed in that moment, right? Because I, I, I was, God was teaching me that I can't pray with my expectations on what should happen. I had to surrender to God's expectations for that moment. And his expectations are always to show his love, right? He, that's what he wants more than anything. His care, his, how capable he is over us, right? The Jordan River piling up was not about the miracle of the Jordan. It was about God's provision for the people, his protection and his love over Israel. Do you get the difference? It wasn't about the miracle, right? And I'll tell you, like, you know, that guy that he was healed, like, I would love to say that he went on and, like, started going to church and stuff, but he didn't. And I don't know that he's, I don't think he's serving God today, right? But that's just proof that the miracle, it's not about the miracle, guys. It's about what God's saying through the miracle, I see you. I know you. I love you. This is who I am. Look to me. See me now. Right? It's about him revealing himself to us. You know, if we want to see the miraculous, if we want to see God move in our lives, right, then we have to expect God to move in whatever form he chooses. Right? Sometimes we try to force him to move. Sometimes we have these expectations that, God, you better move. You should move. How dare you not move here? Right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. God is good, and he does move, but we have to be open to when he's actually moving and where he's actually moving to. If our expectations are that he wants to that that he should want to do things this way, then we may miss him actually moving over here. You hear what I'm saying? That's why we have to keep our focus on him. We have to keep our expectations aligned with who he is. He's a good God and he has good things for us. Um you know that was the lesson for me in, in my back stuff. You know, like I got, again, I, I got prayed over like a hundred times and no healing came, but I, I didn't need physical healing through that season. I needed grit. I needed God to, to show me that I could get through anything, you know, to get through this last season that I've been in, you know, like that's what I needed, right? And if, and if my expectations were that, God, you should heal my back, then I would have felt that that was all a failure, Right? And I would have put these expectations on God that he never had any intention of following through on. But opening it up and saying, God, like, I trust you. I trust you. If you want me to be healed, I know you can do it. There's no question there. But if you're not going to heal me, then I'll look for you to move in other ways in my life. I'll be open to seeing those other ways that you want to move. What are your expectations? What are your expectations? Do you expect to see God move in your life? 
Do you expect to see God move in the lives of your family and your loved ones? Do you have that expectation? We can't lose that expectation. Right? And we can't force people to respond to his movement. Right? It's got to be their choice, just like it's our choice. We can expect that he's trying. We can expect that he's always moving. And our job is to simply try to direct people's attention towards where he's moving. Look, look. God wants to move in your life. Church, God wants to move in your life. If you haven't seen him move for for a season, if you haven't seen him move in your life for a while, well, then maybe your expectations are off. And maybe you're trying to tell him where he should move. He wants to move. But he's going to move the way he knows he needs to. Amen? Amen. So, you know, as, a, as believers, like, you know, if, if our expectations are that God wants to move and, he, and that our expectations are that he is who he says he is and that he's capable of doing grand and incredible things in and through us and we're going to see miracles and we're going to see lives changed and we're going to see literally the kingdom of God expand in front, right in front of our eyes. At our fingertips, it's going to expand at times. If we believe that and we're going to see that, right, then just as the Israelites built memorials, to the times where God moved, we better do the same. You know, and I love this, that they, they built two uh, 12-stone monuments, one on the shore and one in the middle of the Jordan. So when that water came back down, nobody saw it, but they knew it was there as a monument. And you know, uh, uh, Jesus was baptized just like a stone's throw away from where the Israelites crossed at the Jordan. Right, where John the Baptist baptized so many, right? It was just a stone's throw away, right? Like, like they knew this. This was power. They knew that monument was in that water. That God, the same God that, that stopped the Jordan is here today. The same God, right? They knew that. They knew that power and they remembered it. It was vital for them to remember what God had done so that, again, Scripture tells us like they wanted to make sure that their kids didn't forget that there was a legacy to who God was. And they could call back to it and say, when kids or anybody asked, What's those, what are those stones about? They could say, oh, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you the story, right? And so today, like, what does that look like, right? If we built a monument of stones out in the desert or by our house, nobody would have any idea what that's about. And we probably wouldn't get asked. So what's our modern-day version of building memorials, Right? Testimonies, testimonies, right? Facebook posts, right? You guys time hop, right? Like, man, there's times when I, I don't post a whole lot, obviously, but like, um, you know, uh, there's, there's times when stuff comes up and it's like, oh man, I almost forgot about that moment. You know, and it's like, man, I, and you remember like, man, God's so good or, or this thing happened or a great day that with your family or something like that. But we have to build monuments in a way that, that um, reminds us and tells others about who God is. It's being a storyteller. That's what it means to be a storyteller practically in this day and age. We look for opportunities to share. Let me tell you what God did for me this last week or this last month or this last year or whatever. Let me tell you what he did for me. And I'll tell you, like, 
Um, you know, we, we don't want our God moments to grow cobwebs, right? We've said that many times here before. We don't want our God moments to grow cobwebs. And so today, we don't need to just keep talking about the Jordan. Because we have our own Jordan experiences. Amen? Amen? And we can say, look at what God did in the Bible. And it's an incredible story that we get to share. But then we get to go and say, hey, he wants to do the same thing today. He wants to do the same crazy things today. You know, there's reports out of the Ukraine that... Um, that missiles are disappearing in the sky. And that missiles are hitting in certain areas and there's pictures of them and they're just sticking out of the ground and they didn't explode. Like, that's God. That's God. And we can choose to either believe that and share that and say, look what God's doing or not. But there's also a stark warning in scripture about what it means to not give God glory. Moses was not at the Jordan moment. Do you know why? He didn't give God glory for a miracle that occurred. And so he was kept from the promised land. A monument wasn't built because, because Moses didn't, uh, you know, he, he accepted it as his own glory, essentially. And so if we... If we spend too much time in our life, right, like assuming that good things that are happening in our lives are because of things that we've done, then we're not looking at God anymore. We're looking at ourselves. And if we look to ourselves for too long, then the good starts to dry up a bit. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me because I've, because I've failed to give him credit where credit is due. That's why we have to tell a story. That's why we have to tell stories. That's why we have to share about God's goodness in our lives. That's why we have to tell the power of, of who he is and what he is capable of. Church, if he has moved in your life, you have to say something. You have to say something. This world is desperate for your story. It's desperate to hear that there's more out there and that there's more beyond just trying to rely on, on ourselves on this broken flesh that we have, right? The world is desperate to hear that there's more. And they can reject it if they want to, but our job is to scream from the top of our lungs, there is a God. He is who he says he is. He is the same God that parted the Red Sea. He is the same God that stopped the Jordan. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And what he has done in me, how he has saved me, healed me, delivered me, freed me from addiction, freed me from my past, from brokenness, from self-hatred, the way that he has freed me, he wants to do the exact same thing for you. I am not a special case. I am the promised child of God, just like all of us can be. If we would just accept and step into what he has for us, right? He has these promises right here. He's pouring them out over us. He's saying, this is what I have for you. My son died so that you can have this fullness in your life. And if you've experienced even a part of that fullness, you better share it, church. You better share it, church. We better build monuments to God's goodness in our lives, lest we forget, lest our children forget. Do you want your kids to know who God is? Yes. You better tell them. You better show him what he's capable of. If we have a benign faith in our lives, then what are we training our children in? 
we're wishy-washy about our belief in God and who he is, then guess what our kids are going to be? Guess what our family members are going to be? Guess what our loved ones are going to be? Our coworkers, our friends. If our faith has no power, then what is that? It's not a story worth telling. Amen? It just looks like a set of rules or something. Man, this isn't a set of rules. This is the power of God in me. This is the power of God in you. That's who we're called to be, church. That's who he's pleading with us to be. Telling our God stories now opens the doors for more God stories to to be had. Do you want more God stories? Then share your God stories. Then share your God stories. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us, and we're so grateful that we even have a story, (laughs) that we even have a story to tell. And God, you know, you would be good whether you did miraculous things in our lives and moved in power or not. You would still be a good God, but that's not how you show up. But that's not how you show us, God. And God, even in the midst of distractions, God, you're good and you move. So God, we, this morning, we commit to raising our expectations to yours, to surrendering what we think you're capable of in favor of what you're actually capable of. God, we want to see, we want to experience your fullness. We want you here, God. We want you here. So God, move. We want to fix our eyes on you so that when you move, we know we can go with you and we want to run after you, Father. And God, we want to commit to raising our own memorials your goodness in our lives so that we don't forget and so that others would ask questions so we can give them the answer help us to be storytellers of your goodness help us to be storytellers of your power so that others might have their own stories with you father god you're so good we love you so much we pray these things in your name Amen.